today we're going to talk about incest and learn that it's bad. Uh, we're also going to learn that sacrificing children to Molech is not a good idea. And we find out that God really loves to party. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's going to be a great day. We're going to be talking about uh, more about Leviticus, blood, incest like we talked about, weird mm-hmm. stuff. But before we talk about that, we unfortunately learned uh, this week in our reading um, that we cannot sacrifice our brand new uh, children, our babies, to Molech. That's a yeah. sad thing. Yep. Fortunately. Brandon, unfortunately, what's your, yeah. what, you just had a kid. We, yeah, we just, um, we just had baby Benjamin. Yep. Benjamin Noah O'Sullivan, great Genesis names. Oh, that's just amazing. an honor of our amazing. sermon series. That's going to be great. And we get to yeah. talk about Benjamin, I think, next week or something, right? No. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. we're getting, Well, Benjamin in Numbers, it's going to be great. Well, I guess he is He does in Numbers. Yeah. He's going to feature big in the book of Judges. <sighs> yeah, that's true. Um, but not in a good way. So... <laughs> Well, we get to talk about your son. It's going to be fun, though. His namesake. His namesake. My new daughter. By the way, our kids were born a day apart almost exactly. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Crazy. Very fun. Very fun. They were due one day apart, and they were both born one day early. One day early and one day apart. So when was was, uh, Benny Boy born? February 8th. February 8th. What time? Like 130, 125, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So Gloria, Gloria J.L. White, my girl's name, um, she was born on the 9th at 3.30. Awesome. Crazy. Science. JL, where does that name come from? Sounds (laughs) sounds familiar. That's pretty great. Um, Judges, too. Um, uh, The name actually means mountain goat, ascending mountain goat. It's pretty cool. But it's uh, the girl who killed uh, Sisera in the Old Testament by putting a a tent stake through a guy's head. Pretty cool. That's great, man. That bodes um, well for your daughter in her future. Dude, if any boys are dating her and they're not treating her good, just (laughs) threaten with a tent peg. It's going to be great. Awesome, so, man. Anyway, let's get into the text. Let's She's get into cute. It. She's very cute. I get to see her finally in the flesh. Oh, yeah. Very well, cute. you saw her for the first time last night, huh? Yeah, yeah. Crazy. She's not bad. She's cute. I mean, they're, they're newborns. Yeah, so they're but a little ugly. New, I mean, yeah, newborns are look like newborns. Yeah, got it. Hilarious. Yeah, they'll get cute eventually. Cool. Well, let's get into the text. Let's get into what we're actually here for, and that's uh, the reading and the learning of Leviticus. How does Leviticus and this book fit in with the, the greater redemptive story of God's Word? So... Um, it's getting a little boring, though, right now. Could be. A lot of repetition, a lot of heavy, weighty stuff in Leviticus. Sometimes it could be, you know, a bit uh, drab to read, but... Yeah, and we said last week <clears throat> that the fact that it's boring is is understood because the Old Testament law is cumbersome. It's right. repetitive. It's uh, a heavy burden right. that people have to follow. So obviously it makes sense that you're going through some repeated stuff, some boring stuff. It's also a little spicy, though. <laughs> right, I mean, it does get a little bit interesting um, in different ways, but the the big idea with the sacrificial system, why it's so difficult, is because you don't just walk in before God right. in the Old Testament. Right, I mean, you have to come before God seriously, and there's all these barriers to entry. So, Which I think it's I think it's actually a good reminder to us today as Christians because oftentimes you know we just look at God as a friend, you know, you know. Jesus is a friend of mine kind of thing. And we don't look at him as his holy God, right? We look at him as just more almost like a peer sometimes, and we yeah. bring God down so often in our particular culture in, in Christianity. But I think it's a great reminder to to be uh, 
constantly reminded that God is great. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is way more powerful than we are, right? And Absolutely. so we need to come to him in a different way than we normally would another person, right? Absolutely. So. And then that's balanced, though, in the New Testament with the fact, as Hebrews says, that we can come boldly mm. before the throne of grace. Exactly. Right? We can't walk into God's presence as a son, as someone who's welcomed in um, without reservation by God. So right. it, is, it is both. Yeah. Yeah. But that's because of the price Jesus paid. So we saw, we saw that last week. We also saw these key themes in Leviticus. Of we talked about the, the fat last week, Leviticus three sixteen, mm. the the John three sixteen of the Old Testament, right? That the fat <laughs> belongs to the Lord, um, and it seems like a, a weird statement, but the idea is giving the best to God. Right. God deserves our best. We saw the importance of blood, and that'll be brought up again today. But that the life is in the blood, so blood is a symbol of life, and God's very uh, emphatic about that. So they could never um, consume blood in any way because that's the symbol of life. So when right. they sacrificed, it was the blood that was such a crucial thing. Right. So when we see the blood of Jesus in the New Testament, it's, it's the same emphasis. It's not on the, there's some sort of magic in that, the, the liquid that came from Jesus' veins, as much as it's a picture of the life that he gave. Right. And then we also saw this big theme of clean and, and unclean, pure and impure in this book. And I want to emphasize, just if it wasn't clear last week, that the unclean or the, these cleanliness rules are not... Um, are not sin themselves. So touching a dead body or having a certain skin disease would make you unclean, but it didn't mean those things were bad in and of themselves. It meant that you couldn't approach God if you were in that condition until you had been washed thoroughly. Yeah, it's so, teaching us. Yeah, something. so it's sort of a yeah. picture of sin. Right. But it wasn't that if you did these things, you were sinning yourselves, right? Some jobs require you to touch dead bodies, right? Being a, an undertaker, right? right? Or grave digger, you'd have to touch the dead body. So it's more of a picture of sin. And so Jesus will do away with the sacrificial system. We see that in Hebrews 9. He'll do away with, with dietary laws. We right. see that in Mark chapter 7. He's explicit about these things. But it doesn't mean that the law doesn't have a lasting importance for us today. It right. does in a lot of ways. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So... Let's get into chapter 18, um, uh, and it's all about sex, right? Yeah. Sexual relations. How do we relate to one another? How do husbands relate to wives? And Yeah, and the big thing we should be seeing as we're reading through this is that every part of life is impacted by this call to holiness. Yeah. That's what I want to see today. Sure. So we've seen the sacrificial system last week. We've seen the, 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 uh, the priesthood, and we saw Day of Atonement. But as we get into these sort of moral laws and these general life laws, we see that Holiness relates to the bedroom, it relates to the marketplace, it relates to, it relates to the home, it relates to every part of our lives. That's a big theme of the book of Leviticus, holiness, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. be holy for I am holy. It's, it's repeated constantly throughout the book. And this is, a, I mean, this is in, in marked contrast to the nations right. around Israel, yeah. which would say, I mean, everything was compartmentalized for them. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything was, you have one God of this sphere of life and one God of this sphere of life, and you just appease the gods if you need something. This God, the true God, is saying... You live your entire life for me. Yeah. I'm Lord of all, and so every part of your life should be in service to me and honor to me. Right. So we see this in, in chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. This is kind of the, the motivation behind all these rules of, about sexuality. Is He says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, mm-hmm. where you live, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So everything that follows in chapter 18 about sexual you know, ethics, it, it's based on that. You have to be distinct from the world around you. And God's right. going to put some barriers in terms of relationships, what you can and can't do, 
because he wants his people to be different, right. to be holy, and to not get dragged into the sexual ethic of the world around them. Right. I mean, and we could obviously learn from this too, right? Because when it comes to our sexual ethic as, as modern-day Christians in America, we're, we often look to the world, if we're honest, to get our understanding of sex, right? Right. We we often look to entertainment, even if it's unwittingly, right? It's unintentional. We right. will do that, and we'll pick up on the cues of the world around us, and we'll base our understanding of sex and of love and of marriage on the world. Yeah. So we're not going to be tempted to, to incest, as they would have been, because that was where they came from. Right. But we'll be tempted towards rewriting or re-understanding what the Bible says based upon what the world says, and that's yeah. completely unacceptable as a oh, yeah yeah and whether it's you know whether you're dealing with the lgbtq issues or you're just dealing with you know uh living with someone before you're married to them right yeah so it's the whole spectrum of the abuse uh of you know se- the sexual part of human beings right yeah our world has so. evolved from saying those things are okay right what well, used to be they were bad now they're okay to do and now even they're positive good like it's a good thing to live with someone in the eyes right. of the world and before to, you marry them. To say contrary is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. B- books that you know, you know, uh, propagate those values are even taken off Amazon. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah book burnings uh, digitally are happening all the time. I, well, I don't know why they don't take the Bible off. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that's <laughs> it is definitely the most offensive book, <laughs> and the, again, the best selling book of all time and of every year it's ever been. So right, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, so this is where we get these rules against incest, right? Um, it, it, this, this is an important thing because of their context, because they were coming out of a place where the royalty in Egypt would marry their siblings. Right. Right. Very, very common practice. Right. And, and we've seen, actually, up to this point in the Old Testament, lots of people committing acts of incest. 100%. And, like, I always get the question, too, especially from either young Christians or uh, people who don't want anything to do with the faith that is argumentative. The, and, and they just straight up say that the Bible condones incest, so that's why I don't believe in it. Well, like, or, the, or the question of like, well, who did who did Cain and Abel, or who did like Adam's children uh, yeah. marry? Exactly. You know? And when you say they married their siblings, right? They're like, see, like, oh incest, no, yeah. So it's it's like, wait. So but then I always ask like, so why do you believe incest is bad? exactly? Yep. And they always are <laughs> like, the what? What? I mean, how could you not? What are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, no, like, like, show to me. Yeah. Why? Why that's bad? <laughs> well, it, just because there's a three percent higher risk if you marry your cousin that you're gonna have birth yeah. defects. Is that really it? Right. Or is it that we just take for granted the ethic that has been ingrained into culture because it started with scripture? Right. Which we and, see, and obviously, of course, here, that's right. Explicitly yeah. here in Leviticus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is the Bible's ethic. Um, and actually, even long after the Bible, many cultures were, were pro incest to some degree. Right. You know, um, that, that royalty would have to keep their bloodline pure and stuff. That was a common thing. So, yeah. so this is, I mean, this is, it's not just about, though, the diseases that can come from incest. It's not just about that it's gross. I think part of the reason why. Um, these laws are in place is because, because basically what it goes through is you can't, you know, um, have sexual relations with people in your family, right? Obvious stuff, children, parent, um, yes. brother, sister, all that kind yeah. of stuff, aunt, uncle. But he also goes into people that are married into your family. And, and that, that doesn't have any sort of direct right. bearing upon, you know, those sorts of issues. I think a big part of it is because there is uh, a high percentage of Sexual abuse happens from people that are in your family. Right. So this was putting a barrier between between abusers and the abused, right? Yeah. To say no, the the home should be a sanctuary 
from that. Yeah. You don't ever look at someone in your home who's not your, you know, your spouse, obviously, in that way. Right. You don't treat them in that way. They're off limits. And so it was a way to, to guard against that, that right. very common perversion. Yeah, and thank God for the, just the clarity that he gives he gives his people about how they should live their lives, right? Like we could scoff at the rules and the list of things to do, but like God is calling us to live as a specific way, like founded in the creation order, that's actually good for human flourishing. It's not anti-human flourishing is what the world says, you know, the Christian worldview on sexuality is it's, it's anti-flourishing, it's anti-good. But no, if we believe that God is good and he's giving us good things to live our lives by, then we that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing that he's given us these guidelines. Yeah. So, yeah. And so we see we see a lot of you know talking about incest. We also see you know of course probably the most controversial um, or you know most quoted verse in this chapter would be verse twenty two, right? You should not lie with a male as with a woman. Right. It's an abomination, and obviously this is a verse strong word. Yeah, and obviously this is a verse that is you know been highly questioned, and um, people will say you know people that are pro LGBT will say. Look, the Old Testament says it. Right. Christians don't follow the Old Testament, therefore, this doesn't matter. Well, I mean, then you could go back a few verses and say, should we commit incest too? I mean, right. obviously, there's a lot more nuance here than just saying that. Um, and this is important because actually, this is we, we look at Old Testament law in terms of what are the principles being taught mm-hmm. in this context. This is not uh, part of the sacrificial system. This is not part of the ceremonial law. It's not dietary. This has this yeah. has lasting impact. But also this. Uh, command specifically is repeated in the New Testament. Exactly, yeah. So that makes it much easier for us to Does understand. Does Jesus explicitly uh, repeat this? Um, I would say it, it, explicitly no, but uh, he no. absolutely does repeat the, the the Old Testament ethic on sexuality. Right, yeah. Because he uses a broad term to refer to the entire, right, porneia, referring to the entire sexual ethic of the right. Old Testament. And then, of course, he con- he confirms the Genesis account, which is that Male, the, female. Yeah, male and female, Mary, yeah. Matthew, Matthew 19 is the verse for that. So Jesus is very, very clear about what marriage is, where sex should occur, all of that. There's yeah. no there's no gray. It's amazing. There's so, I mean, there's such good, like, biblical and reasonable answers for those kind of questions, but those kind of questions always are floating around churches, and just people don't challenge them or think through them deeply, you know? Yeah. They, uh, how many times have you heard that oh, homosexuality isn't you know commanded by Jesus in the New Testament in any respect? Yeah. You hear it all the time. Yeah. It's just not true. Yeah, it's, well, it's very shallow thinking, right? Yeah. And of course, Jesus was raised reading and memorizing these scriptures, yeah. right? I mean, he, of course, he knew this, and everyone around him took it for granted, yeah. and he wasn't going to spend a lot of time reminding them of the basics of what they knew. Yeah. But and, uh, Obviously, like we have to, I feel like we always have to say, like, you know, being homosexual and and having those sins in your life um, doesn't mean that Christians hate you. Doesn't mean that we hate you. You know, if you're going through those kind of struggles, of course we, not, we yeah. know many people that have struggled with that sin. Um, but we have to be faithful to the Word of God and how He's calling us through His Word to live our lives. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah, and we're. I mean, we all are guilty of sexual morality as a broad term. Oh yeah, I would, I would be willing to bet we all are. I know. Right. I know. I am. Um, so it, for us to say one kind is unthinkably can't be forgiven or something. It's just, it's ridiculous. Right. But I don't, I don't know any Christians who actually say that. So <laughs> I, mean, I talk about that, but it's like this weird straw man that culture has created. Yeah. Of course you're loved by God and you can be forgiven. Right. And uh, you should repent of that. Cool. So that's chapter 18. Um, let's go to 19. Um, 19. Yeah. yeah. There's some really important verses here. 
you know, obviously the big one that you, you know, you hear, you hear a lot, you know, we, we hear Jesus quote this, you know, um, verse 18, you know, uh, uh, of, uh, chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Yeah. Love so, your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, this is obviously hugely important. I mean, this verse has shaped the ethic of, of the world in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. I mean, that is a, that is a powerful statement. Oh yeah. And it's, um, the, the second great command as mm-hmm. Jesus would say, right? Love God. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. So the, this chapter is really um, a bulk of bulk of it is talking about how we do this, right? So how do we how do we take the holiness of God and the fact that we should be holy and apply it to the ordinary stuff of our lives? So there's a lot of like very specific commands that we can't get into every single detail, mm-hmm. but I thought it'd be good to look at some of them. Yeah. And what's happening here? For sure. So so some of the things that we see that are very prominent in Leviticus are the importance of caring for the poor. Mm-hmm. Right, this is, I mean, it's a big theme. So in verse 9, we see when you reap your harvest, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So the, the point of this command is to ensure that poor people have a way to get food. Yeah, it's communal welfare. Yeah, this yeah. Is, it's kind of a welfare. And it's, it's really ingenious because it's built into the way that you do your work. So it's not something that is you know, hidden so, uh, very often like, the, like taxes or fees or things like this, but it's when you harvest, don't try to take everything out of the land. Yeah. Don't try to grab it all for yourselves, but actually leave some. Leave the fringes there. And when you the gleanings are when you would drop something. So you're, you're harvesting you know, sheaves, and you drop pieces of the harvest. Mm-hmm. He's saying don't go back and pick up all the scraps. Leave those there. Yeah, Ruth is the first thing that comes to mind. You know, yeah, the book that's, of Ruth. that's big in the, yeah. in, the, in the book of Ruth, yeah. And this is a way to allow people to work and to have dignity in their work. It's really brilliant. I, I love it, too. Like, the welfare, you know, our, our welfare system, like you talked about, is, like, everyone pays taxes, and then there's just random pools of money everywhere that people get stuff. Whereas I love this idea of welfare because it is giving responsibility to the individual to sacrifice themselves specifically for specific people. Yeah. Like, it's personal, right? Exactly. So it connects you to the person that's actually coming to your field to pick up those scraps. Right. It allows them to do part of the work of harvesting. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. It's small work, but it is. They are picking it's up something. themselves, yeah. right? And they're making bread themselves. Yeah. And so it really is, is brilliant in that way. Mm. It's not just, yeah, come and get free money. We have no idea who's getting it, where it's going, <laughs> any of that. Right. It's, it's very <laughs> straightforward. And, and, and for me, I mean, just as a personal application... I don't really like to give money to the homeless. I mean, we, wow. we have a lot of... You're you going to say that again? <laughs> we have a lot, obviously, we have a lot of big homeless population in Santa Cruz, right? But I like to give to organizations that I trust mm-hmm. um, that will help the homeless or um, give them actual tangible food. I, I, I get on board with that. I mean, the, the whole idea and the whole heart is to actually be helpful and to actually you know, be a blessing. Like... I think it's definitely questionable at times whether just giving money to a random person is a blessing. Like even to my friends, like or family members, do you just give money willy nilly, or is there conversations about it? Is there specific? Well, you help? have to have money to give it. Um, so yeah, I have some money. <laughs> I mean, I live in Santa Cruz, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But but the, to be able to meet somebody's need in a tangible way would ensure there's not abuse. Right, are taking advantage. Right, right. So someone's not going to use that to something bad that'll actually enable them in a bad behavior. Right. Um, not that I'm saying it's bad to give money. I'm just saying personally, I think it's this is a better way it's to do. Con- it. I think it's a, clearly a, there's Christian freedom in that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, no. Absolutely. That's just a a thought. Um, so let's look at more of of how we love others. We see verse thirteen. 
You got to pay people, right? You got to pay people, and don't yeah. withhold your your payment of them uh, till the next day, right? Like I'll pay you later. Right. Like no, give someone what they deserve right. that day. So in the way you treat your employees, be just, be fair. Right. Yeah, for sure. And look at verse fourteen: You shall not curse the deaf, or put a stumbling block uh, before the blind. You shall fear the God I am the Lord. Yeah. So, so yeah, don't don't ma- don't mock, don't don't injure, don't do harmful things to people that are disabled. Right. So just because somebody is is you know disabled in this way doesn't mean you take advantage of them. Yeah, which certain respect there. I mean, I think some ways in culture today that could be argued that that happens, but I think for the most part we're sympathetic to people with disabilities. You know, in our culture, yeah. but it hasn't always been that way, right? No, so. no, yeah, and, and I mean, again, it starts here in Scripture. I mean, right. this is a radically new idea mm. that someone should be treated well regardless of their value in the eyes of society. Right. Yeah, and it, yeah, historically it hasn't been that way at all. Like, you think of Orwellian thought and stuff. It's just like. Strong versus weak, right? It's just yeah. like the strong should win, the weak should go away, right? Or yeah. Dar- Darwinism too. You know? Absolutely, yeah. But there's actually a value here and a respect for mm. people that are in need. Right. You take care of them. Wow. Um, yeah, you see in verse 15 this idea, we saw it in Exodus too, but that justice is blind, right? Don't do injustice in court. Don't be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So don't favor... It, you're in, like we said. You're inclined different ways. Some people favor those who are oppressed, right. who who have been hurt by the system in their in their mind, and so they will favor them in court, and they'll do injustice in order to help somebody who is in need. Right. Others will be will be wanting the favor of the rich man, yeah. and so they'll favor that rich person in order to you know get some sort of benefit from that. But both are bad. Justice is blind. That's right. a very biblical idea. Mm. So this is not about equity. We hear a lot about that term in our yeah. world today, right? We have to make everything fair. We have to do injustice, really. Take right. from one to give to another in order to level things out. It's about equality. That right. Everyone is treated with the same laws, given right. the same opportunities, and you can't be, be unjust in that way. I mean, which I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll concede that even today in our justice system, there's a lot of this. I mean, I mean, you can look at statistics showing that if you have a ton of money, you're most likely not going to receive the death penalty, right? Yes. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know, uh, abuses of justice in this country. You know, I probably wouldn't as go as far as some in, you know, the extent of that injustice, but it's not perfect at all no, by no, any means. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, there's, there's still big issues. Yeah. Um, so let, let's move on. What, what verse should we go to next here? Let's go to 19. Um, uh, you know, just about purity and uh, uh, let me just read it really quick. Yeah, you shall come your statues. You shall keep my statues. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seeds. Nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. What's especially like this? It's getting really nitpicky. And you, I'm sure as you're reading, <laughs> like you're like, what is this all about? Why does it matter? Why yeah. does it matter? Yeah, and things that we can obviously do today, right? We can we can have two different types of crops. Well, the idea was. You, in the way you do your business, demonstrate purity. That's right. the idea, right? Demonstrate holiness, demonstrate separation, mm-hmm. keep things in their proper place. I, I've heard people say that this command against a garment with two types of, of fabric was, uh, it was a method by which they would cheapen, right, right. Uh, a fabric. So they'd make it lower quality by, by mixing in a different fabric in order to cheat the person that was buying it as well. Right. Um, so in whatever you do, you're you're demonstrating the value of purity, right? Right. Whether it's breeding animals or your 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 land or your what you're wearing. I think I should definitely read. Uh, I think it's let's see, twenty twenty eight here. Oh yeah, verse twenty eight. This is for you, should, you. Yeah, you shall not make any cuts on your body, um, for the dead or tattoo yourselves 
I am the Lord. Yeah. So, whoops. Unfortunately. Yeah, a little, a little late on that one. Yeah. Um, thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so what is this about? This, I, I, this is one of those big ones, too, you get a lot of questions about. I, yeah, especially, like, I mean... I wasn't. I didn't grow up in the church, but I, w- I was saved in you know uh, like 2000, I think like 16 or something like that. I got saved, mm-hmm. but like around that time, this was like the topic all the time. Like, yeah. should you have tattoos or not? And like tattoo shops were opening everywhere, and Christian you know preachers were all of these tattoos everywhere. You know, this was a big conversation. So that's so funny. Yeah, is having tattoos sinful? Yeah, no. Th- this is not um, a law that. Uh, applies directly to us, but the principle is very important, right? What what they would do back then, uh, a lot of people believe, is they would actually mark themselves with tattoos to show which god or goddess they belong to. Hmm. So for pagans, you would mark yourself with a tattoo to show ownership. Right. It shows you know who you belong to, and so um, th- what he's saying here is you you don't engage in those kinds of practices. Uh, it's the same with the the cutting yourself for the dead. It's a practice of mourning, right? It's, it's very pagan. Right. So he's saying separate yourself from those practices. So the application for us today is not so much you can't put ink into your skin, which I think is morally, it's just you know amoral. It's, right. not, it's not good or bad in and of itself. But the way that you dress and the way you carry yourself and the way you appear shows what you value. Right. And it often shows who you belong to. And so oh, the importance of dress, right? And you, can, and you can do this. You can Today, you can get a tattoo to show what gang you belong to, Right. right? I mean, you, it shows ownership very often. You, there are clearly sinful tattoos as well. Right. Um, but uh, but most of all, it's, it's saying, in general, we should be thinking about the way that we appear and what that shows about what we value. Yeah, because we're representing God, essentially, right? So that's the whole point of, you know, the Jewish people here. Like, they're representing God to the nations. And yeah. Like, God wants us to represent in a specific way. So Absolutely. The same today, right? I mean, you go to any high school or even college, and people dress a certain way depending on what group they're yeah. hanging out with. <laughs> so. Yeah, dress shows belonging. Yeah, yeah, and even in the, in the I'm work a part world, of this camp, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you just have to be mindful of that. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do that um, in any sense. Yeah, and, and to but, some to some extent, to be a part of any society, there's going to be you know just the type of clothes we wear is a sign of that culture. So you're yeah. not going to get away from it completely. Um, but yeah, you're not going to you shouldn't embrace it. <laughs> yeah, but Christians will be distinct. They will be distinct. Yeah. Uh, I, I love verse 32. This is, well, talk about an idea that's undervalued in our culture. Verse 32 of chapter 19. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. Mm. I am the Lord. Right. Uh, we've just totally lost this in our culture. This yep. value of someone who's old comes in the room and you respect them, you honor them. Right. And uh, in Isaiah, he actually talks about, the, the prophet talks about how mistreatment of the old is a sign that a culture is decaying. Mm. It's a sign that it's just unraveling, and we're we're way past that. I actually saw this a lot in Hawaiian culture. They really honor the elderly there and, hmm. their, and, and their grandparents, which I thought was always very cool. You know, because it's totally not in you know in our culture and where I grew up in you know the Bay Area, California. It's you know, old. If you're old, if you're past this age, you go to a nursing home and we forget about you, and yeah. it's just sad. You know, and both my grandparents, uh, my both my grandmas were in nursing homes for a long time, and just generally a sad place. Yeah, that's no hit on the employees or the, you know, those places in general. But like, it's just a generally sad place where the family's not present all the time. You know. So, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just hard because obviously there's different reasons to put someone in a nursing home. But right. if it is just for the sake of I don't want to deal with, you know, my old parents. Yeah. Um, man, that's a, that's a sad thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and kudos to all you know 
of you, you know, parents and, you know, people who care for their parents that are doing that out there. It's a hard thing. I saw, yeah. you know, my mom care for, you know, my grandparents growing up and, uh, it was not easy all the time. So yeah, prayers to y'all that are doing that and it's not easy, but yeah, it's a good work. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. And then as we get to the end of this chapter, we see verses 33, 34 talking about the importance of treating foreigners mm-hmm. to your land, yeah. right? Immigrants, however you want to think of it, sojourners, as they put it, uh, a stranger that sojourns in your land. It says, you shall, verse 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, mm-hmm. and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hmm. That's an amazing statement. Again, this was not like, find me one culture at this time who talked like that. Right. Treat the person who's not part of your nation with as much respect and care as the person who is part of your nation. Yeah. Again, racism eliminated, if that were the case, right? Or ethnocentrism, whatever. Um, but the, the, the theological reason behind it, which is you were in this position. Mm-hmm. You were outcasts. You were strangers. And you were taken advantage of. Right. And God rescued you. So don't do the same thing right. to those who are not part of your people. I, I mean, I wish even a fraction of the heart of this passage, that verse, um, was in our culture today and, and just the, the national dialogue of different issues, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not only that, you know, you know, we're trying to treat people from outside the United States well. It's like we can't even treat each other inside the United yeah. States well with foreign thoughts, right? So For sure, yeah, we've, we've made other strangers in our own country, yeah. and we just, we treat, yeah, so much disrespect, so much hatred in our world right now. Yeah. Sad. A lot, of, a lot of suspicion toward toward our neighbor as well. So, I, I mean, all of these, this is an incredible chapter because a lot of these values are actually reflected later on in the New Testament. Like, you know, what came to mind for me as I was studying was the book of James. Mm. I mean, James says so many of the same things. Like in James 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality right. as you hold the faith uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And mm-hmm. he talks about if somebody who's rich comes into your midst, don't favor them. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't favor them over the poor person. So right. th- that idea is still very much present in the New Testament. Uh, James 2.8, if you really fulfill the law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Right. Repeating, I mean, Leviticus 18 right there, right? Mm-hmm. He's repeating the same idea. Or how about James 5.4? He says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. Hmm. So that's the same idea. Exactly. I mean, he's saying don't hold back wages or look at uh, James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So an attitude of love and care for others, this stuff is all over the New Testament. So the principles yeah. haven't changed because the person that is behind the principles hasn't changed, God. which is God, right? He's unchanging. I think that's such a great point. I mean, it, one, we have to read the Old Testament carefully, right? It's, you know, there are some parts that are, you know, grueling, but there are certain laws, like we've talked about a couple different times here on Daily Gospel, there are certain laws that are applicable to the New Testament Christian, there are certain ones that are not. But the majority of the ones that I think affect, you know, the core of what it means to be human and how to live your life, they haven't changed. Yeah. God's moral principles have not changed since the beginning of his creation, right? Yeah, so, the context has, as right. we said many times, right? Yeah. We're not the nation of Israel. We don't have a government that is a theocracy. We don't right. have these temple systems, obviously. But the heart of these laws, uh, we need to understand them so we can benefit from them. Speaking of a, uh, a law that um, we should obey today as New Testament Christians is uh, chapter 20. We should not sacrifice children to Molech. <laughs> 
Good old Molek. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Constant struggle in uh, my day. Yeah, I know. Just constantly having to correct people that are trying to sacrifice their children to Molech. Crazy. Um, I mean, this, this was always very strange for me growing up, you know. Not that I read Leviticus all that much, but I knew this was here and these commands against child sacrifice. It's, it seems like there's nothing that's more divorced from our culture than a command like this, right? right. To put your child in the fire and allow them to burn. Right. And I, I never really got why they did it. Mm. Like, it doesn't, didn't make any sense to me. Um, like, why would you sacrifice your child? Right. But for the reason they did it was because they believed that this God they were sacrificing to could benefit them. And usually it was through fertility, right? So they wanted better crops. They wanted, uh, you know, lots of lots of wealth. So right. they would sacrifice a picture of fertility, which was a, a, a new child, hmm. right? This picture of life, give up life in order to sort of prime the pump, get the gods to give you life yeah, in life your crops. Life. Makes sense. And yeah. to improve your life. Right. And so I, I thought, you know, this just seems so foreign to us today. But as I was thinking, right, I mean, we, we don't have physical idols today. We don't, well, not, not many. Right. Most of us don't have idols that we go and worship at. But we do have idols in our hearts, right? Oh, we have yeah. things that we worship and value and we revere above all else. Right. Idol factories, as yeah. one great theologian said. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so really, they, I mean, and often they correspond to the same thing. For us, it's not crops because we don't grow crops, most of us personally. But it is that same idea, which is wealth, it's mm, stability, yeah. it's comfort, all these things. Yeah, which is the heart of, you know, these idols are the exact same thing. It's no different, right? Yeah. This is a different face. Yeah, and, and no. we can we can sacrifice our children um, sort of metaphorically, right? Meaning we want so badly to succeed in life or to have wealth or whatever that we will neglect our children. Right. Right. We will we will mistreat our children. We we won't raise them well. All these things. But uh, also we have we ver- we do this very literally, right? I mean, every single year, hundreds of thousands of children are sacrificed through abortion. Yeah, right. And and very often the the reason behind that, I mean, I, it's shocking how many people who are actually married who already have kids will have an abortion. Right. It's not just sixteen year old girls. Right? right. It's 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 also people that don't really have an excuse. Right. And except I for comfort. Right. Except for yeah. Except for I, I don't want to have more of a burden on my life. I don't want to lose my free time. I don't want to lose these things. And even if it is a younger person, right, who says, well, I can't go to college or I can't have, you know, th- this sort of experience at this age of my life if I have a child, it's still a sacrifice of a greater good, a child, for a lesser good. Right. Right. All those things are, are, are less. And to dishonor God because we believe we can find the way to the good life mm. is, is, a, is a tragedy, right? Yeah. And of course, we know, we talk about this in, in membership class as well, but there are so many people that have gone through with an abortion because of lies from other people, because of manipulation, because people pressured them. Right. Um, and then, of course, even if you've, gone, you've done that with completely evil motives, 100% evil motives, God forgives. There's right? grace I mean, in Jesus yeah, there's Christ. absolutely grace. Yeah. So I want to be clear about that. But, yeah. but, but this is still very much a reality, to oh. not value material wealth over the real gift of children. Yeah, I mean, you often hear, too, from people, like, when they read the Bible, like, you look at something, a passage like this in Leviticus 20, or you look at, you know, uh, even the beginning of the New Testament when Jesus comes and, you know, children are being killed, or you look at Egypt and Pharaoh killing the newborn, you know, uh, Israelites, you know, you, you look at those, are like, that's so foreign. You know, we don't kill babies today. 
Well, if you actually believe abortion is the taking of a human life, then since Roe v. Wade, 62 million people have been killed, right? Yeah. That's a crazy number, right? But it's so separated from our daily reality, and it's so sanitized. Right. And it's couched in these, you know, sort of nice terms mm. that it's very easy for us to go about our lives and to never think about that. Right. To never think about the, the suffering that has been caused by this. So, yeah. So yeah, God God help us as a nation. God help us as a nation, and like yeah, I just want to repeat again, like there is grace found in Jesus Christ. If you know you've had an abortion yourself, but yeah, amen, um, amen. So we get in um, at the end of this, right at the end of this chapter, verse twenty. We won't go into this chapter in detail, but um, he, he has a sort of a warning, right, a, a threat or a warning. But verse twenty two, he says, "You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules, and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out." <laughs> So the, the threat, or the promise, I don't know, is if you disobey these laws, you lose the land. So right. for them, obedience to the law was tied to the land that they're going to inherit. And it's, it's conditional in that sense. So the being in the right. land is conditional. Right. You have to actually live in a way where you're fulfilling this mission. And if you don't, and you become just like the nations, well, then you're going to go and be part of the nations. Right. And you see that promise you know, follow through on by yeah, God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's this is more of a prophecy in some sense. But and then at verse twenty six again, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. Hmm. So holiness is tied to relationship to God. It's tied to being separate from the world. It's I mean, it's such a such a big topic as yeah. we've seen. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's let's keep scooting along. Um, chapter twenty one, twenty two. Um, the the idea of priesthood is coming back into the section. Um, so we talked about it earlier. Um, you know, this is a huge theme in Leviticus, and it's a huge theme for God's people, and it's and it carries on into the New Testament, obviously. But what's this section in uh, these two chapters all about? Yeah, and it's interesting. So you may have noticed that, like like he said, that they're we're repeating a theme we saw earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, there's actually a lot of this. It's happening in Leviticus. We call it a chiasm, mm-hmm. but it's the kind of the book ends that move toward the middle, mm-hmm. right, and focus on the, the central idea. So, on the on the book ends on the far ends would be the beginning of the book. Verse chapter one to seven was about sacrifices, about the, the rituals that you do, and then at the end of the book we're going to see the feasts mm-hmm. they observe. So it's this kind of an observance. They're tied together. Parties, uh, yeah. And then in chapters eight to ten, so as you move kind of closer in those bookends. Chapters 8 to 10 was about priesthood, and 21 to 22 is about priesthood. Mm-hmm. So those parallel. And then you move in closer to the middle. Chapters 11 to 15 were about purity, and then chapters 18 to 20 was about sort of moral purity. Mm-hmm. And then the middle of the book is what we saw with the Day of Atonement. Yeah, right? Yeah. All of this points to the fact that Jesus is going to be the sacrifice that right. we need, that you can't fulfill these laws. He's going to be the high priest. right? Yeah. He's going to be the priest and sacrifice. Right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So just, just one th- thing to point out from this chapter w- is um, in verses... So there's lots of rules about who the priest can't, can and can't marry um, because they wanted to keep the priestly line pure mm-hmm. and to make sure that there was not a mixing of that line. Right. And then in verses 17 and following, he basically is talking about uh, you can't have someone as your priest who has certain blemishes, so mm-hmm. defects, so you know, has certain diseases Blind or lame. is mutilated yeah. or, yeah, so specific things. Maybe wait, I don't want to say all of them, but um, 
he, so the idea here is that God's perfection is reflected in the sacrifice. We saw that, right? A lamb without blemish or a bull without blemish. But it's also reflected in the sacrificer. Hmm. The person who's coming before, before God has to be someone who is without those major physical defects. Right. That reflects the importance of, of not having those defects in the heart. Right. Which, of course, we know every priest, aside from one, does have those defects. Right. But that's the imagery there. And I'm sure none of the goats were, you know, wholly perfect either. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about parties. Yes. You know, I am sometimes jealous of the Jewish uh, religion because they have so many holidays. It is awesome. <laughs> they get to go camping for one of them, the Feast of Booths. That is awesome. Yeah. Camping I love camping. in the backyard, camping. In, they camp everywhere, man. They camp <sighs> in the courtyards. They camp all different places. Seems just, um, it seems like just fun. Yeah. Right? It does seem fun. Yeah, I love camping, um, especially when there's a shower nearby. <laughs> but but I, we won't go through all of these. But basically, the, the idea here is that so we've seen the the totality of life is affected by holiness, right? Right. I mean, the workplace, the home, all these different places. Um, but also, even your your time is structured around holiness. Mm. Even your vacation is about it's about God, right? So time is structured around worshiping God. So your week is structured in a certain way. We saw that. And your year is structured in a certain way. There's there's holidays throughout that are about celebration, right? About pointing to the fact that God wants us to enjoy life and to receive the good gifts he's given to us. And he wants us to remember through these celebrations what he has done in the past. Mm. So we don't do these, these um, feasts per se as Christians, but we do have a certain rhythm and calendar in the Christian world as well, yeah. right? With Easter and Christmas being the main right. components of that. Um, but we remember God and we celebrate, and it's a good thing to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, that's why we like love, as Christians, we love the Old Testament. We are remembering God in His redemptive history and what He's done for His people since the beginning of time, right? That's right. So. Don't, don't forget, if you forget, then you lose your identity as a people. So yeah. look, let's just skip ahead to chapter 25, because there's a lot, of, a lot of details here. But I just thought that this, this info about the Sabbath year was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So taking every seventh year off entirely, like don't plant any crops, don't work. Right. Pretty bizarre. I mean, obviously, some people had to work to keep things going. I'm sure right. it's a bare minimum, but basically, you rest for an entire year. Pretty I cool. mean, this is very like over the top. Like, <laughs> we, could, we would never do this, right? Take an entire year off for the entire society. Yeah. No GDP. No like no production. Wow. But it was well. We just did actually this last year. Well, so. <laughs> okay, I spoke too soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the the the. Part of this is you have to trust God, right? If you rest on the Sabbath, that means you trust that God's going to provide for you. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this, but resting for a whole year is a very difficult thing. Right. Because you could be getting ahead, you could be, right? But God says, trust in me to provide for you. So I love in chapter 25, verses 20 to 22, he says, And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? He knows the objection, right? Right. So how are we going to eat, God? And this is what he says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Mm. Why three years, right? It should just be two, right? The sixth year and the seventh year. Right. But he says, You're gonna, I'm going to give you for three years. He says, when you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop mm. right? from the, from the sixth Abundant year. Abundant blessing, yeah. Yeah, you shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to give you so much if you trust me, if you will lean on me and actually depend on me. And... Of course, spoilers, they never do this. Right. They never trust God. They never have these Sabbath years. Um, they, they neglect it majorly. Mm. 
Um, and then we also see the year of Jubilee, which would be the seventh seven. So you have set the Sabbaths, right? Mm-hmm. And then the seventh seven, after that, you have the year of Jubilee. So the 50th year, year of Jubilee. And this was a Sabbath, and it really was about rest for the land, so you wouldn't do any crops. It was about release of slaves. So you mm-hmm. actually, every contract of an indentured servant or a slave would be done. They'd be released. Right. And then also you'd return land that you'd purchase. So land was held by different clans, different families. You could purchase land, but really you had to give it back. It was more of a long-term lease. Right. You had to then return it to the person you bought it from. And th- this is kind of crazy. I mean, thinking about it societally and economically mm-hmm. i mean that's that is pretty crazy to yeah. say all debts all debts are canceled all land is returned all slaves are freed but uh, gordon wenham who's a who's a old testament scholar he says that this was sort of designed to bring back something of the relationship that existed between men at creation hmm. and i think that's really insightful is that god was trying to point to the fact that at creation everyone was was equal economically and this was a way to in a small way because there's still obviously huge disparities, but to to show that, to bring that blessing, to bring uh, freedom, all these things, yeah. and to point forward, as we'll see, to what Jesus is going to do. Yeah, amen. So, again, big idea of everything we've talked about right here. What would you say? Holiness affects every single part of your life. Yeah, amen. Holiness, I mean, top to bottom, right? So your appearance, uh, how you eat, how you cleanse yourself, um, your your sexual relationships, your work, your vacation, your family, strangers around you, young, old, uh, men and women, it's comprehensive. Yeah. Right? It, it affects it does every that apply to us today? It, it applies to us today in those principles right. Right, of who God is. And in the same way, we have to be holy because God is holy. Right. I mean, that is repeated in the New Testament over right. and over again. We have to be holy, and we have to understand that every part of our lives reflects Jesus' rule and reign over our lives. And Amen. so we should take seriously, seriously every single part of it. Right. Well, this, you know, Leviticus, you know, you get to chapters 26 and 27. There's a lot about blessing and curses and vows. But I really want to get to the gospel connection of what this all looks like. How does, you know, not only how, like, how this applies to us living our lives and making good moral choices, but what does this really mean for the New Testament Christian who believes in the gospel? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it means a lot. So one of the things that we see, and we didn't look at it, but um, we'll look at it in Deuteronomy, this idea of blessing and curse is that what you do has an impact. Mm-hmm. How you live bears a certain fruit, right? Galatians talks about this. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. Mm. So there's a there's that rule to life. Um, so that goes against the lie of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, which is that you shall not die. You won't be harmed if you eat the fruit. Nothing bad will happen to you. God's right. clear that that's not true. Right. Good and bad comes from obedience and disobedience. Right. But what we see in Jesus is that he's going to fulfill that for us, right? Right. I mean, Jesus himself points to the importance of the Old Testament law, and he sums it up in Matthew 22 as being about two laws, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and great commandment. And the second is like, is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And Jesus says the law is about love for God and love for others. Right. And Jesus in his life does those two things perfectly. Right. So he fulfills the law. He fulfills all the Old Testament regulations, but he fulfills the heart of the law as well, which is to love God and love others. He does something that we cannot do, and he fulfills it for us so that we can reap the blessings of mm. what Jesus has sown. Oh, yeah. Right, so that we're not bound 
in that curse that we're going to reap from our own actions. Right. He takes the curse and he gives to us blessing. Yeah, he becomes that scapegoat, right? That's right, because he yeah. has done, he has fulfilled all the law 100%. And then we also see, I mean, obviously we talked about Jesus as the priest, mm-hmm. but um, Jesus is depicted in the New Testament as a, a flawless priest. Mm. So in Hebrews 7, it talks about how you know, there used to be priests that had to, to come and purify themselves and to offer sacrifices for themselves, but Jesus is always there with God interceding for us. And he says in, in verse 26 of Hebrews 7, it was indeed fitting that, he sh- that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above mm. the heavens. He has no need like those high priests offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Mm. So those words there, I mean, very reminiscent of Leviticus. Right. right? A high priest who was unstained, who was clean, who was pure, and who therefore can do his duty perfectly. Right. That's what we've always needed. Right. And what never happened in Leviticus, especially when we saw Nadab and Abihu getting, getting yeah. uh, barbecued in, <laughs> earlier on in the book. So. Yeah. Strange and then and the last thing, I mean, this is a big, big idea, is the year of Jubilee. Right. This is, I mean, this is the big connection with what God was pointing to with Jubilee, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the ultimate form of, uh, you know, freeing of our debts. That's right. In Luke um, 4, Jesus comes to um, the synagogue in Nazareth, and he, he gets up there and begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah, which mm-hmm. is talking about Jubilee, mm-hmm. right? He, he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, mm. to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right. And then he rolls up the scroll, sits down, and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. So he's, what he's saying there is not that that's fully been realized, but he's inaugurating Jubilee. So when he comes, he's coming to do to fulfill really the ultimate picture of Jubilee, which is release Release of captives from their chains. Mm. Forgiveness of debts, right? Debts are canceled. Mm. You trust in Jesus, your debt is canceled. You're no longer a slave to that old sin. Right. Um, and that's primarily the debt we're freed from, the debt of sin that we're all enslaved to, right? Exactly. And that's yeah. what it's pointing to. He's, he's talking about this. Um, it will be literal someday in the new heavens and new earth, but he's saying there's a spiritual release from captivity that's happening. Mm. The, the poor are now rich. The captives are now free. Right. Everything is changed because Jesus has come and because he is inaugurating mm. a completely new era in human history. That's amazing. It's amazing how these laws, and they can seem drab when you're reading, are always pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, yep. the freedom that's found in him alone. So, Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.